So we've been talking about the law of God over the last uh, four weeks, or three weeks. Next week will be our last sermon on the law of God. Last week we, we looked at um, the law, and what did we talk about last week? Can you tell me what we talked about last week? The law of love, and how that, uh, that affects our life. This week we're going to talk about the law of freedom. And next week we're going to talk about righteousness apart from the law. So uh, we're going to talk about the law of freedom this week. And everybody's moving to the sun, so where the sun is. Or they're just walking around because you can walk around here in CDM. <laughs> There's a lot of de- demonic lies in society. And last week we had a look at some of those demonic lies that are affecting our lives in society. Demonic lies are ideas or thoughts that... Um, the devil puts out in our society that if you believe those things, he has you trapped, he has you bound up, he has you deceived. And there's a lot of them, and in our Western society, there are a number of them that we can actually put into words because they are so clearly demonstrated in our society. They are like values are relative. I don't know how many times you've talked to people uh, and they'll tell you that there are no absolute right and wrong anymore. You know, it's whatever you think. You know, if you think you want to move in with the girl and you think you want to just live with her and that's okay, you don't have to get married. That's okay. For you, that might be okay. For somebody else, it might not be. If you think that same-sex marriages is okay, you know, homosexuality is okay, well, then that's, all right. that's just a difference of opinion. It, you know, values, rights and wrongs are not absolute. They are whatever you decide they want to be. So our society has really actually coined that, and since the 1960s, it's part of what we think. You know, our society, you talk to people at your workplace, and they actually think those things are, are true. They do not believe in the Ten Commandments any longer. They do not believe that those things are, are absolute. They just believe, you know, right and wrong is up to you to make a decision. You determine what's right and wrong. And if you can't prove it, you can't believe it. That's another one of those lies that society says. You know, you can't prove God, so you can't believe God. Well, even if I tried to and gave you some infallible proofs about God, you still wouldn't believe it because you have to have some sort of empirical or scientific testing to prove something. And if you can't show me something scientifically proven, then I don't have to believe you. In that sense, scientific knowledge must be certain. Well... We, 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 that's a lie as well because one thing we know about science is it's not certain that it's always changing that the rules that we have today are not the rules that govern us tomorrow and the things that we think were unchanging in science have been changed and changed again so they tell us that eggs are very very bad for us eggs eggs produce a lot of cholesterol in your system and eggs will kill you if you eat too many eggs and now they're telling us that eggs are very good for you you can eat 24 eggs a day and they won't hurt you they won't even affect your cholesterol so they've changed their mind why? because science is not certain they don't know about these things they're lies but you know if I can control your mind by saying that science is certain and I can say that this is a certain the facts are in this is the science about it and you have to believe me because I tell you that science is behind me well then I'll control your mind by that and I'll tell you that it's certain but that's just mind control it's not truth it's mind control and that's what our society is all about. That's what the devil is all about, controlling your mind. We could also learn that there's no knowledge of life after death. And because no one's come back to tell us that there's a knowledge of life after death, well, why do we believe it? Because you can't, if you can't prove it, you can't believe it. And so, 
you know, we can live how we want to live in this world because there is no judgment, there's no life after death. When you go to to sleep at night time and you die in your sleep, it's just like sleeping on forever and it's just nothing. That's what they believe. The trouble is, that's not what the Bible teaches us. And that's a lie and a deception. Real means seen and handled. So we... If I can touch it and I can knock it and I can push it around, it must be real. You know, if you take it away and I can't feel it, and I can't, it's not real, it's not tangible, it's not real. <laughs> the trouble is that we know that everything that we think is tangible, if you look closely, it's full of holes. And if you look even closely, more closely with the microphone, it all disappears. And that things that we think are materially intangible really are just movement, movement, vibrations. So it's crazy. Our society says, just put your faith in something that you think is real. And it's like a mist. And the Bible tells us that. That life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. It just disappears. Because God knows it. He governs everything by his spirit. His spirit. Not material. His spirit. And to be certain about anything, our world says, is to be arrogant. It's the deception. You know, if you are certain that Jesus loves you and you're certain your sins are covered by the blood and you're certain there's a right and a wrong and you're certain the Bible is true and you're certain that Jesus wants you to tell other people about him and you're certain that that's really important and everybody says, well, you God-botherer, you person who bashes the Bible, you're so arrogant, you are so up yourself because you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. And just because you're certain about something, the world says you're arrogant and full of pride. Well, what does it want? It wants everybody saying, well, I don't know what's going on. I don't, know what it, I don't know what to believe. And then if everybody says, I don't know what to believe, you can believe anything you like. That's what society wants. And the last thing, well, last one of those lies is that freedom means doing as I please. Like if I really want to be free, if I want to experience freedom, then I can do whatever I want. It doesn't, you can't stop me. So if I want to jump off a, off a cliff, I can jump off a cliff. I'm free to do that. If I want to run in front of a bus, I'm free to run in front of a bus. I'm free. I'm like, I can do whatever I want to do. Freedom is doing whatever you want to do. That's what our society says. So if you say there are some rules, the person who wants to be free will say, line those rules up, I'll break all of those rules because I can be free. I'll break the rules because... Breaking the rules means you're having fun. And the, and the kids at school, adolescents, they have that in their head. Just because mum and dad put a boundary down there, you know what? Don't listen to the boundary. You be free. Do your own thing. Don't you tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do, they say. And they break the rules and they break the boundaries just because they want to show you that they're free. But you know what the reality is? It's a lie. It's a lie. Breaking the rules does not bring freedom. It's a lie of society. Freedom means breaking the rules is a lie, a demonic lie that actually doesn't bring you freedom. It brings you to slavery. And when we break God's laws, we lose our freedom. We lose freedom when you break the laws of God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we look at... The first sin. And we'll analyze and, and discuss how, when Adam and Eve first sinned, 
they lost all of their freedoms at that point. It says, the woman said to the serpent, because the devil had asked her, the serpent climbed into the tree and said, you know, you know, what's God saying to you? And he said, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden. That's freedom. So, you know, if you think about it, I like going overseas and I like traveling to different foreign places, exotic places, and I like seeing exotic fruit. I like looking at all the different fruits that different people eat and I think I'd like to try some of those fruits because there are so many different kinds of fruit and so many different kinds of flavours and I like exploring the different fruits in, in, in other countries. The papaya or pawpaw in, in, uh, in uh, Asia is a whole lot better than the pawpaw you buy here in Australia. You, you just ask Annie Jenny about that and then they have things like soursop. We call it soursop here but they have different names for it and, and oh, some of the pineapples and some of the different things that they have bananas over there are, are so different to the, the fruit that you eat here but they, and they don't have apples like we have apples and peaches and apricots and they don't. so there's lots and lots of different kinds of fruit and freedom in the garden meant you know you could walk anywhere you wanted in this beautiful place this beautiful garden and you could eat any fruit you like imagine the bananas in the garden of Eden I mean nothing was dying everything was growing the bananas would have been growing up there no, no banana bush was dying off it was just growing there and then the banana thing came out and it would have been huge it was perfect bananas. They would have been enormous bananas. And you could just eat the bananas. Just then, you know, you know. You'd walk anywhere, you could have anything you like. But there was only one boundary that God placed down to the woman. The woman says, But God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, or you must not touch it. That was the boundary. You see, a boundary defines freedom. A boundary defines freedom. You say to your children, walk into the playground. You know, there's a fence all the way around the playground. Here in the playground, there are swings and there are slides. There's a slippery dip. There's all kinds of things that children can play off in the playground. Look in the playground. Now, you must stay within the playground. Do not go outside the playground. Do not run onto the road. Do not go outside the fence line, stay inside the playground. So the boundary actually says everything that's within this boundary is free to you. It defines your freedom. There are lots of choices you can make within the boundaries. Make choices within your freedoms. So the boundary defines that everything else is okay. You can eat everything else in here, Eve. You just cannot eat of the fruit of this tree. That's the boundary. Everything else is free for you to eat. She could have spent the rest of eternity eating the right kind of stuff and ignored the tree. Living in the boundaries. Enjoying the freedoms that God gives them to enjoy. Just one boundary, she said. She said, and if you eat that boundary, the consequence is that you'll die. And we know that death is a loss of freedom. When you die, you're not free to walk around anymore. When you die, you're not free to think. When you die, you're not free to choose. When you die, you're dead. Freedoms have ceased to exist when you're dead. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, it says, You will not surely die, says the devil. The lie breaking the law doesn't restrict freedom, he says. You know, you won't die if you break the rules, if you, if you choose to do what you... You won't have a loss of freedom. Why, he says, 
He says, because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What he's actually saying is there's a temptation here. Don't trust God. Breach that relationship that you have with God. Breach the freedoms that you have with God and your experience of freedom. Just distrust God. And he says, and you'll find greater freedoms. Your bondage is believing and trusting in God. If you would break your relationship with God, you would find the world would open up and you'd be free to do whatever you want and there would be no bondages. You will not surely die. You will have freedom. Like if you just turn away from God, you can have freedom to do whatever you want, wherever you want. You can take drugs. You can drink and be an alcoholic. You can have all kinds of illicit sex. You can do all kinds of things that are really morally wrong. Just break your relationship with God. You are free to enjoy yourself. And there are no consequences. That's the lie. That's the lie. Break your relationship with God and you're free. Freedom means doing as you please. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 we read, And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. There she had a mental choice. She could have said, I don't, you know, I just, look, I'm in this really cool relationship with the creator of the universe. You know, we're kind of hanging out together every day. He comes and talks with me. He walks with me along life's way. I get to eat all the different kinds of flavors of fruit. You know, just not eating that one, that's fine. I mean, but she made a mental choice. I think the sin started in the head before it started outside of her body. It started in the head where she decided that she could think independently of God. And she broke the rule of listening to God and obeying God before she actually broke the rule physically. She decided in her head, I can choose what's right and wrong. I don't need God to tell me what's right and wrong. I'll define what's right and wrong for myself. I look at the tree, it looks good for food, so I'll define that it is good for, for food. I'll define that it's good to make me wise. I'll ignore what God says. So there's a breach right there. There's a breach in her head. There's a breach in terms of relationship. And she makes a choice. And this choice that she makes enslaves humanity from that time on. No, 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 no. We didn't get freedom when she made that choice to be independent from God. We got slavery. That's what happened when she made that choice to be independent from God. The lie that freedom means doing as I please is such a deceptive lie. And if you believe that, you will not come into more freedom, young people. You will come into more slavery than you can even imagine. If you think and you practice breaking rules is good, you will end up broken and smitten and dead. Because the Bible says that you don't get more freedom by breaking rules. You get more freedom by living within the boundaries and obeying God. Every young person who hasn't got their head fully switched on will tell you it's more fun to break rules. People who have been there, who are older than you, will tell you to live within the constraints of boundaries. Why? Because we are wiser... We have lived longer and God has shown us that there is no wisdom 
in breaking boundaries. Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And then the eyes of both of them were open. Whoa, there's the first loss. Before they could walk around and they could just talk and they were innocent. Then when they ate the tree, they lost something. Immediately they ate of it, they lost something. Their eyes were open. Now they can see. Before they, they couldn't see things, but now they can see. But is what they're seeing worth seeing? Obviously, if you had a choice, you know, if you could choose to see something that was so horrible or not see it, what would you choose? I mean, my little son, grandson, uh, uh, Max comes to live at my place sometimes, and he's a very timid young little man. And um, so you might have, uh, say, maybe he says, what shall we, we might put on a DVD for him, and it might be Ice Age, you know, Ice Age 1. So we put the thing, and he sits there, he sits on my knee, like there's a dinosaur. And he'll tell me the names of the dinosaurs because he knows the names. But he'll sit there and then he'll just look at the TV and get off my lap like that. So he's now standing hand on me watching the, watching the DVD coming. It's playing. And there's some scary animal just walking down the road. You know, and he's, like that, and he's t- not touching me now. He's stepping back further away. Like I'm saying, does he really want to see this? Oh yeah, don't turn it off. No, he does. Now he's at the door. Like I'm sitting there, he's at the door, he's looking at the, at the screen, he's looking at the scary monsters that are walking down the road in Ice Age 1. They're not scary, they're just animations. We know it's just a movie, you know. But his little mind, you know, he's seeing something and he doesn't really want to see because if you take it away, it'd be happy for him to take it away. But he's fixed on it now, he's seeing things, his eyes are open. And then all of a sudden he's disappeared. But we know that he's still watching and he's down the hallway now. He's peering around the corner of the hallway looking at the squirrel, you know. And then the bolt of lightning hits the squirrel. Ah, ah, you know, like, and he's, mummy, 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 where? Why? His eyes are open. But he would prefer not to see those things. Why? Because they're scary. I'm not scared. I'm not, yes, you are. I'm not scared. Yes, you are. Why, your eyes are open. You know, you ask somebody who's seen some really rough stuff, who's seen some, ask some of the African brothers and sisters if they've seen some things that would, they would rather have not seen. They have had their eyes open and they would have much preferred their eyes to have been closed and not to see the things that they have seen. Men who come back from war, who see their mates shot to bits and see people killed in front of them, and you sit down and say, Granddad, what was it like at war? They would prefer not to tell you. They would have preferred not to see these things. Having your eyes open doesn't mean that you're free. Doesn't mean that you've got liberty. It means that you might have something coming through your eyes that is not good to see. And that's what Adam and Eve had. They had their eyes open and they lost something. They lost their innocence. They lost that ability to say, Oh, I wish I didn't have to know this. Now I know this. I wish I didn't have to know this. It's in my head now forever. They lost innocence. So freedom didn't come to them. Loss came to them. Immediately loss came to them. They lost their innocence. And they realized that they were naked. They lost their unashamed openness between each other. So you know how it is, you know, you can walk with people like... I have in the shower yesterday. Max, this is my place. We'll talk about Max today. Better than talking about my wife. I'm in the shower, completely naked. So the door opens. And then strolls Max. Now, if Max was 17, 
there would have been a problem. But Max is two. Well, who's he? Three? Two. He, Max doesn't know the difference between clothes on and clothes off, and he doesn't have a sense of shame about that. He says, Papa's got a belly. You're very astute. <laughs> Smart boy. <laughs> he doesn't know it's called nakedness. It just doesn't click in his head. So here we have Adam and Eve. They're strolling around the garden eating all kinds of fruit and doing all kinds of things. And they just do not know that they are naked. They've lived their lives together and they've eaten in the garden and they've had enjoyment with all the things that are in the garden. And they just do not know that they are naked. Now their eyes are open and they lost their innocence. And they lost that relationship with each other where they could hang and be just open with each other and not be aware that they were both naked. So they lost that openness with each other. Immediately they decided they were ashamed to look at each other and decided they needed to hide each other because God wasn't there in the garden with them at that particular point of time. Although he was, we know he's because he's omniscient. But they weren't conscious of his presence there, but they were certainly conscious of each other and they were conscious that they were naked in front of each other. So they decided to sew some fig leaves together. Well, that's when they lost their competency. They sewed fig leaves. Oh, come, come think about that. Sewing a leaf together for an apron, is that going to cover it? You know, you know. after a little while, the leaves are going to dry, they're going to wither and they're going to crumble. And you suddenly realize you're incompetent. So they lost their competency. Just in that one act, they lost their sense of innocence. They lost their ashamed openness between each other and they lost their sense of competency. They failed to be able to deal with their nakedness. Well, breaking the rules and you're free. What rubbish. Breaking the rule means you, you lose innocence. It means that you lose openness with one another because you're hiding something all the time. It means that you lose a sense of competency with each other. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 says, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They lost their... Relational confidence and significance before God. They heard God come into the garden and immediately they thought, oops, we're in a bad state now. We used to have confidence when God would come into the garden. You know, God would walk into the garden in the middle of, you know, the after, in the evening of the days and they would, they would all gather around God and walk with God as they walked through the garden, probably telling God all the different flavors, the taste of all the different fruit trees they'd been eating off during the day. You know, tending the garden was great. It was a lovely place to live. God would come and visit them. What a beautiful place to live. Now God comes into the garden after they've expressed their ability to have freedom. And guess what? They're not so confident anymore to approach God. They're not, they've lost their boldness. They've lost their confidence. They've lost that ability to be, have that relational openness with God. They lost that relational openness with each other and they lost that relational openness with God. That's what they lost. Breaking the rules means you can be free. What rubbish. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, it says, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Generation. Sorry, Genesis 3 verse 10 says, He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So man confesses something here at this point. He confesses, I lost my relationship because I heard you in the garden and rather than run to you, I ran away from you. So 
I confess I've lost my relationship with you. I've lost my innocence because I know that I'm naked. I am naked. Before I didn't know that, but now I know that, so I've lost my innocence. And he confessed. I've lost my confidence to stand before you. I'm no longer bold before you, God. I've lost my confidence, so I'm hiding. So that's what we got. Some major losses. God defines the permanent loss of freedom. So here he is now in the garden. He's got these two little people who are sitting in front of him who have decided to listen to the lie from Satan that says freedom means doing as you please. They follow that lie. And God says, well, I'm going to now define some of the things that are going to be a permanent thing for you. So he begins to define. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 40, he says, And so the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, I don't know what they did beforehand, but when he had finished that, they were on the ground. They were bound to the ground. Satan said, That's it, Satan. I mean, God said to Satan, That's it, you're on the ground and you're crawling through the dust. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says to the woman, he says, I will put enmity between you, oh, sorry, to the, the um, snake, he says, I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and he will strike his, and you will strike his heel. So he was bound to be destroyed. He was bound to the ground and Satan was bound to be destroyed because of what he did. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, he said to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, bearing, and your pains with pain you will birth, uh, give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So she was bound to suffer in childbirth. Prior to that, probably not. But after that, yes, absolutely, says God, you're going to suffer when you give birth to a child. And bound to be frustrated in their relationship with the husband. Now, some people have said that the uh, the, the scripture says that her desire, his desire. Your desire will be for your husband is the desire to manipulate your husband. I don't find that in the, in the Hebrew rendering, although it may be there, but I find it as a desire, a longing for. I want my husband, but my husband is just ruling or dominating over me. So there's a sense of frustration in terms of their relationship. I'm not teaching on marriage here, so I'm not going to go into that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, he says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it, of it the days of your life. So he was bound to suffer and to struggle in life. God says, you know, the ground is cursed because of you, Adam, because you didn't listen to me, you listened to you know, no, no sense of freedom here. Now the whole of creation is brought into bondage because of Adam's sin. Just think about that. You know, why is it hard for you to grow veggies? Blame it on Adam because he listened to Eve and ate of the fruit. Why do weeds grow up instead of the things that you want to grow up? Blame it on Adam because he's the one who chose that doing what he pleased is the way to freedom. There's freedom for what? Freedom for nothing. Now he has to suffer and work hard with the sweat of his brow, it says. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. You're, you're bound to be frustrated in work and you're bound to be limited in your diet. You will eat of the field. 
No, they were in the garden. They were eating of the trees that were in the garden. It was great for them. And then now, where are they going? They're going to be cast out of the garden. The garden is going to be closed. So the freedom of the garden is no longer there. They have to now go to the field and they have to turn the the soil. They have to plant seeds. They have to work with their hands. Everything that God did for them and provided for them now has been taken away. They have to produce it themselves out of the ground. In the heat of the day, in the toil of their brow, the toil of their back, and they're gonna they're bound to eat whatever comes out of the ground. Freedom means doing as I please. I get more liberty and freedom. I don't think so. Don't believe that lie, young people. If you can break a rule, choose not to express the freedom to live within the boundary. no wisdom in breaking rules. Wisdom comes from understanding why the boundaries are there. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 it says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, the dust and dust you will, uh, and to dust you will return. You are bound to labor for your sustenance and you are bound to die. These were no freedoms here now. These were all bondages. You are bound to death. You are bound to the ground. You are bound to suffer. You are bound to suffer in childbirth. You are, you are bound to have frustrations in your relationships. You are bound. You are bound, bound, bound. You are tied up and you are in bondage. Freedom did not bring you freedom. Freedom to do your own independent thing brought you bondage. And these are the bondages that you will live under. That's what happened. And when we break God's laws, we lose our freedom. We don't get more freedom. We lose our freedom when we break God's laws. Breaking the law of God is called sin. Sin brings bondage and death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Satan, and Eve, Satan deceived Adam and Eve and we lost all of our freedoms. And Jesus came back to try and restore them to us. To try and bring us back to eternal life, try and bring us back to the Father. John chapter 8 verse 34 says, And Jesus replied to the people, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin is breaking boundaries, God's boundaries. That's called sin. Everybody who sins is a slave to sin. If you ask a person who is sinning to stop sinning, then they're going to tell you, I can stop if I want to. But you know what? Sinning is not that easy to stop. If you are sinning, you will keep on sinning because you are bound to sin. There's no freedom from sin. If you start sinning, you will keep sinning. The Bible tells us very clearly in Genesis chapter 4, that we have to make right choices. When Cain and, and, and Abel were sitting there and Cain is wanting to kill Abel, you know, the, the Lord comes to him and says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must, you've got to make the right choices. When sin comes talking to you, when sin comes luring you, you better live under the, the law of God and under his freedom or you're going to be bound into sin. 
Cain wasn't interested in listening to the Lord. He'd learned that from his mother and he'd learned that from his father. They weren't interested in listening to God. They were going to do their own thing. Cain's problem and Cain's temptation was that he was angry at his brother because his brother had been accepted before God and he hadn't. So he decided the best way to deal with that is to yield to the temptation to kill him. So he went into the, into the field and he got a rock and he smashed Abel's brains out with a rock. Killed him. Freedom means doing as I please. Well, we know that didn't bring freedom to Cain. It brought even more bondage. Every time you break a boundary, you get into bondages. Every time you break a rule of God, you get into more bondages. The more you break, the more bondage you get. Once you start breaking rules, you can't stop breaking rules. Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to the sin. You know what? Jesus has to save us, not from hell. He has to save us from sin. Sin is the problem. Jesus came to save us from sin. He didn't came to save us from sin's consequence. He came to save us from sin so that we could stop sinning, so that we could be living within the boundaries of God and walk with God, not sinning. The problem is sin. If you keep on sinning, you keep on expressing your freedom and your right to sin, you keep on living in bondage. There's no freedom when you break the rule. There's just more and more bondage. And everybody who tells you freedom means doing as you please is lying to you the same lie that Satan told Eve. Every time you hear that from some of your mates at school, somebody says, do what you don't listen to your mother, don't listen to your father, just do what you please. You are listening to the voice of Satan tell you to get bound up and in bondage. How many adults here would have loved to turn their life back and choose rightly rather than wrongly and have to have live all of their lives under the bondage of Satan because Satan has filled their mind with stuff they wish they never had in their head? If only they had never gone that way. If only they had never done that. If only they had never turned on that TV. If only they had never watched that. If only they had never gone that path. If only they had not done that. Only if they had never tasted that, had tried that. If only they had been pure and kept themselves pure for God. If only, if only. Why? Because now I have to live my life with these things all around me. The wisdom is simple. Stop your sinning. Make right choices. Jesus says, you know, if you're sinning, it's impossible. Ecclesiastes says it very well. And he was kind of Solomon and he was kind of disillusioned with life, I suppose. He'd had everything. He had everything he wanted, Solomon. He says, no man has power over the wind to contain it. You can't control the wind. He says, no one has power over the day of his death. You can't control the time of your death. He says, no one, and no one is discharged in time of war. So if it's time of war and you're a soldier, you're not going to be let off. You're not going to get away out of the army. And then he makes this incredible statement. He says, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. And right there, there's an answer for us. If you are practicing wickedness, you will not be released from it. If you are practicing sin, you will not be free from it. To be free from wickedness and be free from sin, you have to stop practicing it. You can't keep on practicing it. Somewhere you have to say no and somewhere you have to stop the behavior. You can stop your thinking, you can stop everything, but you've got to stop the behavior if you want to be free from something. If you keep drinking, you will never be free from alcohol. 
If you keep taking taking drugs, you'll never be free from taking drugs. You'll be a drug addict. If you keep having sex immorally, you'll never be free from sexual sins. Somewhere along the line, you have to stop breaking the rules to be free. Because breaking the rules does not bring freedom. It brings more and more bondage. Freedom in Christ comes to us. John in chapter 8 verse 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, we're told in 1 John chapter 3. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to set us free from Satan's sin. He came to set us free from sin, to make us so that we don't keep on sinning, so that can we live in freedom. Jesus came to give us freedom. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the law of spirit, is the law of freedom. Living in a relationship with the spirit of Jesus is living in freedom. Freedom from sin. Living with Jesus and living with the Holy Spirit is being free from sin. It says in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and I love this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to, the, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now the flesh is everything that is in your body, that desires that are in your body, that has to do with that, that bodily function that your body has. So, so if it's hunger, you, if you live according to the flesh and it's hunger, it's like you have appetite and you don't control your appetite. If it's thirst, you have thirst and you don't control your thirst. If it's, if it's sexual desire, you have sexual desire, you don't control your sexual desire. Whatever your, your flesh tells you you want, you give it to it. He says, so if you're going to live in accordance with your flesh, you'll die. But he says, if you live according to the Spirit of God, which is immaterial, you will live. If you don't listen to your flesh, you'll live. He says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And I love that. I love the tense of that because the tense says it hath made me free or it it already has made me free. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already made me free. That means I am free. Whether I feel free or not, I am free because Jesus says I am free. Now, I might not feel very free. I might have gone through a week where I feel like I'm in chains, but it doesn't really matter because the word of God says I am free. And if the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the principle of living life with the spirit, living life with Jesus, if I'm living with Jesus and walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, yielding my life to the spirit and walking with the spirit every day, I am free from the law of sin and death, the law of sinning and then being in bondage to that sin. You know, if I live with Jesus, I don't have to live with the sin. If I live with Jesus, I can walk with Jesus and I don't have to do the sinful thing. You may not sin if I'm standing beside you. You may wait for me to leave before you start sinning. You know, Mark's here. We won't sin in front of Mark. You know? You know, Mark walks out the room. I know I can sin. I can turn it on because he's not here. But if you're living with somebody who you want to walk with and harmony with all the time, and he's there with you all the time, it's like you don't have any free air. You don't have any free space to do because the one that's controlling you is there all the time. 
I mean, it's like, you know, if I walk with you and I talk with you and you start saying, well, I want to watch a bit of everything. No, I can't because, you know, Mark's here, you know. Well, yeah, that's right. That's the Spirit of God. Yeah, Jesus is constantly with you. The Holy Spirit is constantly with you. He, the Spirit of truth, comes and lives with you. And when the Spirit of truth lives with you, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak to you. He will talk to you. He will, he will speak to you and he will warn you. He will bring conviction to you. He'll bring conviction to your heart about what's right and what's wrong and if you live with him and constantly walk with him and talk with him and you abide with him and you dwell with him you'll be free free from sin because you can't sin while he's there he that is born of God does not long no longer sin he can't because the seed of God remains in him that's what it says in first John chapter 3 verse 9 you can't keep on sinning if you're born of God it's it's really strong it says it's impossible impossible for you to sin well that's not my experience you say i can be a believer in sin well you know why you can do that because you're not conscious of the holy spirit if you dwell with the holy spirit and live with the spirit and walk in the spirit and talk with the spirit it makes sin impossible how can sin be impossible there's a little baby sitting on ruth's lap it's miriam she's beautiful isn't she beautiful how many of you could take Miriam and, and smash her onto the ground until her head is broken and her brains are falling out? Who could do that? Could you do that, Olga? Is it possible for you to do that? Well, physically, it's possible for Olga to take a child and to smash it onto the concrete till it's dead. Physically, it's possible. There are some people in the world who do that. They throw their babies off tall bridges and they jump off with them. That, it's possible for a human to do that. But is it possible for you to do it, Olga? It's impossible for you to do it. Why? Because you love her and you dwell with God. It's impossible for you to do that. Well, why is it impossible for you to do that, but possible for you to do something else? It's only because you don't see it as bad as that. When we sin, we don't see sin as bad as that. But if we viewed sin as as bad as murdering something that's innocent, then we would stop it. We wouldn't do it anymore because we wouldn't want to lose the beautiful innocence. We think, oh, well, we can do that. But you're losing something. You're losing something. That's why you sin, because you think you can and you don't lose anything. Yet when you do that, you're losing something innocent and something beautiful. When those who walk with God walk with God, they walk with God and he, in his presence and his spirit, walks with them. And it makes it impossible for them to think wrong, to act wrong, to do wrong. Because his Holy Spirit is within them continually. He's walking with them. He's speaking to them. And it makes sins of the flesh impossible to do because you don't want to lose this beautiful thing that you have with Jesus. Where are we in our relationship with God then? Because some of us just keep on doing the wrong thing and we don't even think about it, you know? Where is your relationship with God then? Romans chapter 6 verse 6 to 7 tells us, We know that our old sin was crucified with him, or our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer serve, be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So he's saying, Jesus crucified us in, in a sense on the cross. We were crucified with Christ on the cross. So that the body of sin might be completely eradicated. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. 
See, Jesus wanted to deal with this core problem that started at Adam and Eve. You know, this idea, I can do what I please, I'm free to do what I think. He wanted to deal with that independent spirit right there. He said, you know, I'm going to crucify your flesh. You're going to die, he says, now put it to death. The flesh has been put to death on the cross. So that you no longer think that you can do what you are. You are only committed now to do what the Spirit of God tells you to do. Why? Because the other one's dead. So if your body comes up and says, you know, Mark, you're feeling like you want to have a bit of chocolate out of the fridge. It's there. You know, I know Jenny put some chocolate in the fridge. You know, you can get up in the middle of the night. You could have some chocolate. So my flesh says, wake up, Mark, wake up, Mark. It's in the middle of the night. I'm waking up there and it says, my stomach says, can you taste that chocolate, Mark? Can you taste the top coat of that chocolate can you feel it melting in your mouth why don't you sneak into the kitchen and have a piece of chocolate out of the fridge only Jenny won't wake up but if my flesh is dead if I'm sitting there saying oh stupid flesh crazy flesh why would you say why would I even want to get up and have chocolate in my mouth at this time of night and I say stupid flesh roll over and go back to sleep I haven't sinned the thought has been there but I have not sinned the temptation by the flesh is there, but you know what? The, fle- the flesh is dead. Stupid flesh, it's dead. It will not control me. So no, I don't get up in the night time and have chocolate at night time. The flesh is dead. And Romans chapter 6 verses 11 to 14 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And I put alive to God in Christ Jesus in purple because I wanted to pull that out different to the others. It says, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin. You, you have to make a choice to be dead to sin. Dead to sin is simple. If you were dead, if you were dead, be dead. Graham, die now. Okay, Graham had just died. Okay, now I'm going to light a torch, going to put a flame on it, burn his foot. Do I have anything happening? Is he responding to that? No, no, he must be dead. Let's see if we can get something else. Let's see if I can get under his arm and, and, and anything happening? No, it's nothing. Let's see if I can wet Willie in the ear. And then he moved. So the devil knows there are certain things that, you know, we don't like. And he goes, he doesn't, he doesn't tempt us with the things that we don't like. He tempts us with the things that we do like. You like the wet Willie? So in our, in our disposition, what we have to do is reckon ourselves or consider ourselves to be dead. So that when it comes, he has to choose not to react. So I begin to do something, he has to choose not to respond. He has to reckon himself to be dead. He has to say, I am going to be dead to this. So the devil comes and says, would you like this? And you say, I am going to be dead to that, which means I am not going to acknowledge that you're there. I am not going to listen to you, and I'm not going to respond to you. You can be there if you want, and you, and you can talk to me in my head, but you know what? I am not going to listen to you. I'm not going to say what you're saying. I'm not going to speak your words out. I'm just going to be dead to you. It's like I haven't even heard you. You know, the devil knows when he gets into our heads. It usually comes out your mouth. You usually start saying the things that you're thinking. Oh, life is such a mongrel. Oh, it's so horrible. Oh, you know. And we say the thing, and, and they're, yeah, we got them. Now you got the controls on there. Let's start working the controls and see if we can get them to jump through that hoop. 
He's watching and waiting. Now, if you were to speak the word of God in those situations, if you were to speak God's word in those situations, instead of what the devil's telling you to think, he wouldn't know that he had you. All he'd know is the word of God was there. Hey, you're feeling hungry. You want some chocolate. Yeah, move that chocolate button there. Get it there. Move your legs. Move your legs. Want the chocolate on your tongue. Chocolate on your tongue. He's got all the idiot controls going. I'm lying in bed and I'm just saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. It's, it's like, we don't seem to have any connect here. Can you rearrange those connectors, see if we can get those buttons on this idiot again, you know? We seem to have lost connection. We can't control him. You know what the devil does? He looks in your life and looks where he can put red buttons on you. Idiot controls. He knows you. He knows where you're coming from. He knows what you're all about. He knows your weaknesses because you speak them out. You do them out. He says, oh, this person's got a weakness in this area. We'll put an idiot control on there and then we'll control him. Oh, we got him now. Jump through the hoops. Oh, oh, oh jump through the hoops. Oh, he, he's playing remote control with us. He's having a lovely, lovely time and we're just doing it. We're bound to sin because we keep on sinning. And if you reckon yourself to be dead, you cut off the controls. He can't, he can't control you anymore. You can feel it, but you don't have to say that you feel it. It can go through your head, but you don't have to verbalize it's going through your head. You can speak the word of God. Take the word of God and the shield of faith and you can resist the devil. And he can't control you. He doesn't know what's getting in it. He, he doesn't know what's in your mind. He just sows it in there and hopes it's getting there. He listens to what you say to, to see if it's connecting. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's your physical body. Your mortal body is your physical body. So that you may obey its lusts or its desires. And what that basically tells me is that you sin because you let it happen. You are no victims. There are no victims here who, I can't help it. It just happened. That's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. I stole the chocolate from the chocolate shop, but it just happened. You didn't choose to go in there and pick up the chocolate and put it in your pocket? No. I was walking along there and I was completely minding my own business when the demon of chocolate came out and grabbed my nostrils. From that time on, I was completely under its control and I had no, I can't even remember what I did now. I know it's on CCT camera and I can, I can see that I'm putting chocolate, but I wasn't aware of that. I am the victim. I didn't mean to. It wasn't me. It doesn't wash with courts and it doesn't wash with God. You choose to sin when you sin. You choose. And the Bible says, do not let sin. So it means that you do have a choice with regard to it. And every time you do sin, it's because you let it sin. Romans chapter 6 verses 11 to 14 says, And do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. I want, look, back at this one here, we, we put alive to God in Christ Jesus because it's relational. This whole fighting against sin is relational. It says, be alive to God, not alive to sin. Here it says, offer yourself to God, not to sin or to the wickedness. It says, offer yourself to God to those who have been brought from death to life 
and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. And so what we have there is this whole idea that, you know, you have choice. You can offer it to the master of evil or you can offer yourself to the master of righteousness. It's always a choice between two people. It's not a choice between sin and behavior. It's a choice between two people. One of the things we don't really recognize is that sin is something that I'm doing against God as, with the devil rather than, you know, we, you know, the devil says, no, God's not here. You're actually in the room by yourself. No one can see you. It's kind of private. <laughs> now that it's private, and we got that in your mind that no one can see you, why don't you do that little bit of thing? Listen, when you do that little bit of thing, you are making an allegiance with someone and going against someone. You're going against God and lining up with the devil. It's always about allegiance to either Lord or the liar. You are choosing one or the other. It's not about the pleasure of the sin that you're having for the moment. It's just the thing that I do, you know. No, 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 no. No, this is, this is an affront to God or a, a, an agreement with Satan. I mean, you've got to recognize that sin is not just an act of doing something that God doesn't like. It's an act of displeasing God or pleasing God. That's what it is. And when we offer ourselves to God, we are refusing the devil access. That's the bottom line. We offer ourselves to God to be, to be a slave to him. It says there, it says, what then? Shall, sin, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He says, by no means. Do you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? It's the someone behind the temptation. It's just not chocolate. There is someone who's holding the chocolate. It's just not the thing. There's somebody who's holding the thing. It's a personal affront to God or it's a personal agreement with God. God is involved in the whole thing. Is it whether you're a slave to sin which leads to death and bondage or whether you're to obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that through, though... You used to be slaves to sin. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching that you have been entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It really isn't a choice about uh, right or wrong here. It's about who you're going to serve. You're going to serve somebody. Yeah. Who are you going to serve? You really... It's about allegiance here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, says Jesus? He's watching. And Satan says, if you do what I say, then you're not doing what God says. And yeah, I got you. You're allegiant to me. You, you, you would never... Look, if I ask James Bamford, the same, James Bamford, are you always obedient? Probably not. That's, that's an honest statement. So probably it's more clean than most of us. So he says, probably not always obedience. But do you see that disobedience is sort of lining up with the devil? Is it, I mean, you do it because now, but you know, when you're in the stage of saying, you know, I want to do my own thing. I'm not going to listen to mum or dad. I'll just do my own thing. 
Does it feel like you're agreeing with Satan? No, of course not. There's, you don't see this demon there with a the horn sitting up there going, <laughs> come with me. Because if he saw that, James would say, no way, Jose, I'm sticking with mum. There's no way that he would agree to go that way. But you see, the devil is in the counterfeit. You know, he sits behind something. This is the problem. He always sits behind something. He says, you know, you can have freedom. You can have this. You can have that. If you do your fun, you know, do your own thing. We see the fun. We don't see the one who's holding the fun. We play this game and it's a personal affront to God when we agree with Satan. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. The Jews who gathered around him, Jesus said to these words, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a law of freedom that's here. And the law of freedom has nothing to do with breaking boundaries. It has to do with walking within a relationship that has bounded your life. Living within the confinements of God. The Bible says freedom in Christ comes from the Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. You know, I, I like Jesus when he, when he was... In John chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16, and chapter 17, when he's actually giving the disciples a, a discussion about the fact that he's just about to be uh, martyred, and he's trying to console their hearts. And one of the things that he does to console them and to, to give them strength is to say, no, it's a good thing that I'm going away, because when I'm going away, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to abide with you and be with you forever. And then he tells us, he tells us through those lovely passages, chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16, that, you know, he's going, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and guide you and lead you into all truth. He says, I can't tell you everything that I'm going to tell you right now. He said, but when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will reveal, he'll reveal himself to you. He'll take what is mine and make it known to you. He said, he's the one. When he comes, he will live with you and abide with you forever. He says, aren't you excited about that? After he rose up from the dead, he breathed on them and said, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when they waited for him and the Holy Spirit came upon them, then they realized the, what the fullness of the Holy Spirit meant. The fullness of the Holy Spirit meant that they could walk and the talk and Jesus was with them the whole time. And so when they're walking up and Jesus says, See that man lame at the gate called beautiful? He says, You know, you don't have any silver and gold. You can just tell them to get up and walk. Reach down your hand and pull them up and tell them to get up and walk. The Holy Spirit told them to do that. And so they said, well, okay, that seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. So they got down there and they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And they grabbed his hands and pulled him up. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Why? Into the temple. He was so excited. Why? And, they, and everybody goes, say, yay, yay, Peter and John, aren't you so great? Yay, Peter, we lift you up and worship you, Peter and John. He says, what are you talking about, you idiots? 
What do you think? That we did this for, out of some holiness that we have or some righteousness that we have? In the name of Jesus, this was happening. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that communicated what Jesus wanted to do. They walked in the Spirit. They could do that sort of stuff. We can do that sort of stuff if we walk in the Spirit. There's liberty in the Spirit. There's freedom in the Spirit. There's power in the Spirit. It's walking in the Spirit. The law of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. He who walks in the Spirit has life. He who walks in the flesh has death. Simple. The law of liberty is here. The Spirit is here. What does he want to do this week? What can he do with Nathan this week? What can he do with him as he goes to school? If he just listens to the Spirit of God and the devil comes in like a front saying, Nathan, do the wrong thing, Nathan. And he's dead. Nathan is dead to that. He's dead to it. He's saying, what do you want me to do, Holy Spirit? What do you want me to do? And he's just listening to the Holy Spirit. What would happen if he listened to the Holy Spirit and did what the Holy Spirit wanted to do? What you, this is what would happen. We'd have a revival happening in him and the Spirit of God would be working through him. He'd be Jesus at school. That's what would happen. No, no bondage, no slavery, freedom and liberty in Jesus and setting captives free. What stops you? Because you believe the lie. You believe you can sin and there's no consequence. All sin brings death. Freedom is not doing as you please. Freedom is obeying the liberty of the Spirit. Freedom is walking in the Spirit. Obeying the Spirit. Living and and breathing the Spirit. That's where freedom is because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You're in death. You're in bondage. You're in captivity. It's because you're not walking and living in the liberty of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's already set me free from the law of sin and death. All I have to do is live there. Consider myself to be dead to sin and alive to God. Just live there. Offer my body as, 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 as uh, instruments for Him. Look, what do you want me to do with my hands today? What do you want to do with my feet today? What do you want to do with my eyes today, Jesus? What do you want to do with my lips today, Jesus? My whole body. It's your body, Lord Jesus. You take me where you want me to go. You tell me what to say. You tell me what to speak. You tell me what to think. My brain is yours, Jesus. I have the mind of Christ. Let it be whatever you want it to think. What would happen if we would walk like that? You know what would happen? Chains would be broken. Deliverance would be all around us. Blind eyes would be open and they would see the love of Jesus. People would be born again by the Spirit of God because we are men and women of God, vessels of God taking the light of God to a dark world. What would happen? Well, Jesus would be walking around in and through us doing the thing that he wanted us to do. Freedom in Christ is a spiritual choice. It's a spiritual choice to obey Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 says, in 5 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not be, let yourself be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. We do that so often, hey. Oh, Jesus set me free, and then we start picking up the rubbish again. It's like, I. My phone is going to die soon because it's telling me it's just about dead flat. 
you know, we, 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 Jesus sets us free, we're free. I love it when Jesus sets me free. I love it. It's so beautiful when Jesus sets me free. And then we, we, then we tie ourselves up with all the old things again. And we say, oh, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm free anymore, Jesus. What happened? You let yourself be chained up and tied up with the yoke of slavery again rather than living each day in the freedom that God gives you, which is, look, when Jesus tells you to stop something, it's just simple. It's just simple. If Jesus tells you to stop something, stop it. There's nothing real. You don't need to go and see a psychologist to find out how to do that. It's simple. Stop. You know why we go and see sometimes people? We go and see them and ask them, how can I get over something without stopping what I'm doing? <laughs> you still want to keep on doing that? Yeah, I want to still keep on doing that. But how do I get free from the consequences of that? Well, no, that comes with that. You can't actually get rid of the consequences of that if you keep on doing that. Oh, but I want to keep on doing that, but I don't want to have the consequences. Well, I'm sorry, you can't. Galatians chapter 5 verse 30 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve God. Serve one another in love. And it says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, And I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. These are all the things that I've been saying. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. That's it. That's it. Walking hand in hand with Jesus. Looks like two blokes' hands, doesn't it? Well, that's Nathan's hand and my hand. No, it's not. It's Nathan's hand and Jesus' hand. Looks like Nathan's hand. He's got nice nails like Nathan. Listen, this is what it's about. This is what we lost in the garden. We lost that dynamic. Walking in the garden with God. Living in liberty and freedom. Jesus came. He took all of that away. He nailed it to this cross so that he provided for us a beautiful relationship whereby we can put our hand in Jesus' hand and we can continue life now hand in hand with Jesus. That means that he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, where you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do. It means that you can walk with him every minute of the day. When you get down at bed at night time and you go, now I lay me down to sleep, make room for Jesus. He's laying there beside me. Wake up in the middle of the night and now, hey, wait, Jesus, you awake, I'm awake. What are we doing now, Jesus? Well, we're going to pray. Okay, who am I praying for? This is the one. Okay, I'll pray for that one. Yeah, okay. Is that all? Yeah, you can go back to sleep now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'll go back to sleep now. It's now five o'clock in the morning and you have a dream like you're getting left behind somewhere and you wake up and think, oh, what? And it's five o'clock in the morning. What are we doing? And Jesus says, you better get up and clean your teeth and have a shower. It's time to get going. Okay, yeah, but I, I like the woman here. So do I. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. You've got to get going, Mark. Okay. Okay, okay. I'm not getting up. I'm, I'm just walking. You know, I don't want you to walk away with me without me. Come on. I'm coming with you, Jesus. I'm coming with you, Jesus. We got my hand. Don't ever let my hand go, Jesus. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It doesn't matter what you go through in life. If your hand is in Jesus, that's all that matters. He can take you through death. And you can walk out on the other side with him. 
gone through the fire and you're still there. He's not consumed by the fire. And neither are you when you put your hand in him. Freedom is not doing as you please. That's bondage. The law of freedom is doing as God pleases. Obeying him and walking with him. Let's pray. I'm just conscious that some of you are challenged today. That your life has been difficult this week and you can identify in your life the areas in your life whereby you have flirted with the devil. And you're aware of those things that have happened in your life that have caused you restriction in your spiritual walk. And Jesus wants you to come to him in a fresh commitment of heart and just to give yourself freshly to him and say, Lord, I just want to walk with you. If that's what you're feeling, I want you to stand on your feet and I want to pray for you today. If you just think it got crazy last week and you want to stand on your feet and say, Lord, I want to walk in your spirit this week. Just stand up. Let the Holy Spirit challenge your heart. What's the Holy Spirit want you to do right now? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for those who've stood. They're turning to you, Father, and they're saying, Lord, lead us. Lead us from here. Move with us. Walk with us. Lord, I ask that you fill them today with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. So they keep in step with you, Father. Lord, that they hear your voice and they obey you. And Lord, for us who, who walk with you on a daily basis, Father, I pray that you strengthen us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Father. Help us to be what you want us to be in the time that you've given us. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.